Well, good morning, North Shore. Ooh, that was a good nine o'clock greeting. Wow, you must, that sun must be doing something to you, right? I love it, I love it. Well, good, let me get this thing set up here. I tell you what, um, I just want to start off with just praise. I don't, I don't know if you feel it, because we can't quite feel this in the same way we used to because of COVID, but what is happening at North Shore is amazing right now. Uh, you know, we are spread out here. There's uh, many, many people, well over each week, 700 individual IPs. That means computers. And I talk on the phone to many of them. There's usually two or three people gathered each, at each of those IPs. Um, so I think I could confidently say there's thousands of people through that camera. I love you. I'm glad you're here. Uh, there's a growing number of people here. Uh, and God is just doing an incredible work at North Shore. Uh, and in the contrast of just the brokenness that we have experienced uh, over the last year to two years, I tell you what, it is like a cool drink of water. Uh, you, know, I, you know, you guys know I kind of walk here and greet everybody, uh, and each week there's this new people coming, new people, you know, hungry, searching for Jesus and, and to serve him. And anyway, I am just excited, and it really came to this cool uh, culmination on Easter. If you were not here on Easter, I don't know, you got to go back to it. <laughs> uh, it. How many of you are here on Easter Sunday? Raise your hand. Um, I can see those hands too. It was amazing what God did. I mean, it was really ranked in the revival category of people responding to Jesus. It was incredible. Um, and it's that heart and what has been taking place that has motivated the series we're doing right now. And I called the series Not Alone, Set Up for Success. Because I knew God was just speaking to me that, you know, we are going to have to talk to people. We're going to have to remind people who have been walking with Jesus a long time. But we're going to have to talk to people who are stepping into their walk with Jesus for the very first time. Uh, that you're not alone and you've been set up for success. So I want to start with prayer this morning. I invite you, we're going to be all over scripture. Um, but a real great anchor is 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. That's really the heart of this entire series. So you turn there. I'm going to pray. I'm going to get myself set up back here. All right, Lord Jesus, we love you, and we are thankful for you, your word. We ask that you would speak to us in powerful ways today, right where we're at. And so as we come here, um, Father, we all are expected to hear from your word what you have to say to us. And we're going to step into that and say yes to you. We love you, and we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, so uh, this is the time of year as I am talking to high school seniors that I start hearing about college a lot. <laughs> and I was having a, a couple conversations over the last couple weeks, and it reminded me of when Sandy and I took our oldest daughter to college. How many of you have graduating seniors this year? Okay, okay. Uh, how many, it's your first uh, graduating senior. Got any first? You've been there before? Okay. Um, well, it really doesn't matter. I think the first and the last, they, they hurt just the same, okay? Um, and so in that, I remember Sydney, our oldest daughter, boy, uh, she was going to head off to college, 
And we knew this would be a, a tough journey, difficult. There would be things that she was aware of that would be tough, but there's much more that she had no clue that was coming uh, that were gonna be really challenging. So we just, I mean, really, even before she left, we started getting ready. In fact, almost all the family and friends, I mean, the gifts you get on graduation are like, woo, they're kind of like comparable to the whole wedding thing. I, I just thinking about this. The more difficult the journey, the better the gifts, right? We've got wedding gifts, these college gifts, uh, there's something there. So if you get really good gifts, watch out what's coming, okay? Um, so we just, and we got our computers, blankets, wall hangings, post-it notes, everything, stapler, you know, just everything. And then we take her there. We walk with her all through campus and go into her class. And we actually sit through the first classes with her. That's what they have you do where she went. And we sit through there. We just wanted to set her up for success. Well, that's what God does for us. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. In his divine power, he says, we're not alone because he has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through knowing him who has called us to his glory and his excellence. We are not alone in this journey. We are set up for success. So if you've been walking with Jesus a long time, know this, he has set you up for success. He has done all kinds of work and given you the resources for success. If you're starting your walk with Jesus, you're not alone. He's set you up for success. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. So as we stepped into this series uh, last week, uh, Pastor Pat brought a great message on God the Father. God the Father. Uh, and this is the forever Father. He was and is and always will be our Father. He is faithful we can count on him. We can trust him. We can rest in our Father. And God the Father has a good plan for us. Pat explained his general will and his personal will. You know, his general will, uh, the journey he has for us is to bring him glory, is to shine a light, to lift him up, to reflect him to this world. And then he has a personal will or a personal journey for each one of us. Psalm 37, 23 says he orders our steps. Jeremiah 29, 11, he's speaking to his people. And he says, I have a plan, a purpose, a hope for you. He guides us in how to fulfill his general will for all of us. How you are uniquely called to fulfill his will. So we all have that, but there's a problem, okay? So we are created for that. Off we go. I'm going to take you back to a garden and into a tree, Genesis chapter 3. The journey got real difficult, way more difficult than it was intended to be. Sin entered the world. Remember Adam and Eve, the fruit, the serpent, okay? Got that story? Most people know it. Sin entered the world. And life got hard. The struggle got real. Work got tough. Life got tough. In fact, Romans 8 tells us all creation groans at the weight of sin. Everything got more difficult because of that sin. 
But Genesis 3, verse 15, God sent support to us. He sent support to us, and he sent his son, Jesus. Who? Check this out. His son, Jesus, is God. Emmanuel, right? In Christmas, we usually bring that name out, but it's true all the time. Emmanuel, the name of Jesus, is God is with us. It's called incarnation. God became man and walked this earth. He said, you need someone, a partner for this journey, right? And so he sends Jesus, God's son, God. But he sends us, he sends him as our friend. He says as our friend, John chapter 15, verse 15 says this. I no longer call you servants, and this is Jesus talking, because you don't know what the Father's up to, because uh, you didn't know, but now you know. I call you friend, because you've heard what I said, and, and I said everything the Father told me to say. He calls us his friends. What the Father says is, this is going to be a hard journey. You can't do it alone. You need a friend. So I'm going to send this friend. And the world recognized this. Luke chapter 7, verse 34. As they're seeing Jesus walk this earth, they're saying, look at him. He is the friend of sinners. He is a friend of sinners. This is who he associates with. He's come down to these sinners and he's walking with them. He is their friend. Someone that's going to come alongside you and walk in this life. Now, God's people, all of us, we need someone to walk alongside of us. And we see it through all of human history. I'm going to take you down just a little trip of human history, okay? And you're going to see the need that we have for Jesus in our journey. I already told you about the garden, right? That didn't go so good for man. Well, as soon as we come out of there, we end up with some biblical characters that I'm going to give you. Uh, with Noah, right? The guy who built the ark. Why did he have to build an ark? Because nobody believed in God. And then after that, a guy, Abraham, comes. And Abraham has got this great call to go into the promised land, establish God's people. It was awesome. And he starts out so good. But when it came to getting the heir, right, his child, he takes matters into his own hands. <laughs> Messed up again, going his own way. And then his great-grandson, right, ends up having these sons that all fight with each other, and they sell one of them off into slavery in Egypt. And then in Egypt, all of God's people ends up there as slaves, I mean, you just see the journey of man and just how broken it is. And that's you and I. It doesn't get any better. Moses is called, right? He shows up there, and he's going to lead him out. Good, great story. All right, he's proud to be human. Here he goes. But he has anger issues, right? He leads them. They doubt. They have issues. They find other gods to follow. And they take a month trip and stretch it out into 40 years because they're wandering all over the place. And they finally arrive. And they get to the promised land. And they're in Israel. And guess what? 
They can't even put the nation together that God has called them to. So much brokenness. So messy. But God, right? God shows up. He provides three typical offices to help guide them because they just can't get it right. They're wandering all over, complaining and doubting. He gives them three offices to lead them. He gives them the office of the prophets, priest, and kings. Now the prophets, they're the ones that give the message of God. They speak the truth of God to other people. The truth from the word that he's given. Uh, they foretell the future, what God's truth is there. And they authenticate it through miracles. Then, priest. We see priest as an office. And the priest, they did the work of God, the work for God. And typically at the temple where the worship of God was. Tabernacle first, then the temple. And they would be the mediators between man and God to reconcile them. And then kings. Kings came in. And kings uh, were the ones that had the authority to oversee God's people. And they would set the standard, the culture. They would provide protection for the people. And here's what's cool, you guys. Jesus shows up. And he fills each one of those offices and brings them into one under him. As a prophet, I already read John 15, 15 to you. Jesus says that he only speaks what he hears the Father say. He speaks God's message to us. He speaks God's message to the people that he's with. He reveals the word to them. But he also speaks to future events, what's going to happen. And then he powerfully authenticates it displays that God is a person of truth. He can do and say uh, what he promises through miracles and healings. Now, Jesus does this, John chapter 1, because he is the word. He is the word in flesh. So all of his actions, all of his deeds are God's message to us. And all the power he possesses says, yes, this God is powerful. And you can trust this word. Now, our problem is this. Is listening to that word. We struggle listening to it. And what we need to do is we need to tune out this world. Because, boy, it is loud. Amen? It is loud. It's everywhere. We have to tune that out and tune into Jesus. Because it's in his message, in his truth, is where our journey lies. We have to listen to his message. Are you listening to Jesus' message? Or is the world tuned in a little too clear? Priest. Jesus is our priest. See, there was the, uh, the high priest, one of the priests of the temples. And what the high priest would do is a high priest once a year would go into a place called the Holy of Holies, the most holy place where God's presence was in the tabernacle and the temple. And he would take in an offering, an animal offering, and sprinkle the blood uh, 
for the atonement of sins, okay, for the forgiveness of sins of man, to reconcile man and God once every year. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, tells us that Jesus is our great high priest. So he fills that role. He is the sacrifice. He goes to the cross, sheds his blood for us, right? so that we can be forgiven of our sins and reconciled with God. The curtain that separated the Holy of Holies with the other parts, where only the high priest could go into, man, another man can enter it. That curtain was torn when Jesus went to the cross so that all of us could enter into the presence of God, into his throne room, and be in relationship with him. And he is the great high priest because he did that once and for all. The high priest there had to go every year. Jesus did it on Calvary. And as he said, it is finished. He is our great high priest. So the question is, do you believe that? Do you receive that? Because Hebrews 4 says this, if we receive that and believe that, we can walk confidently in this world. And we walk confidently because we trust the work that Jesus did. That there is a bigger truth going on than what we see in this world. We are forgiven. We are restored. We are eternal with him because of what he did as our priest. And so we can walk confidently, boldly, chin up in this world. Do you walk confidently? Not letting the pressures of this world went out because there's something more powerful going on in your life. And that's through Jesus Christ. And that third office that he fulfills is as king. He's our king. And a king oversees God's people. And the greatest king Israel knew was King David. They had bad kings and some okay kings, but King David in the Old Testament of the Bible was the king, a man after God's own heart. He unified all God's people. And in 2 Samuel, it was promised that his throne would never end. Mary, the mother of Jesus. When she was told by the angel Gabriel about Jesus and he would come, Luke chapter 1, verse 34, I believe it is, um, what Gabriel says to Muriel says, he will take the throne of David and it will never end. Jesus is our good king. Romans 12 says he's a king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's a king of all things. And what he does as king, he sets with authority the standards, the culture we're to live in, the protection we have in him. This is God's kingdom, and Jesus is a king of that. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Are we allowing Jesus to be our king, our Lord? Do we trust his ways, his culture, his protection over this world? And do we submit to it and say yes to it? 
whose kingdom are you living in? Jesus, he shows up. He is the true prophet. He's the great high priest, and he is the king of kings, Lord of lords. And I love this, the second point for Jesus. Jesus shows us. Jesus shows us. See, what he does is he's all of that out leading us on the journey. But what he does is he come in and he, and he walks right with us as friend. He is right there with us to show us, to model. Parents, you, you get this, okay? Remember when your kids, they're going to head out and they might have had a tough journey or uh, maybe an unknown thing they're going to go to. You always wanted them to take a friend, right? <laughs> but you always wanted them to take a certain friend. Uh, take Bobby, you know, He's a good kid. He's got this figured out. Make sure you take him with you and do whatever Bobby does, right? Or take Susie with you. We know that she's got some, some success and victory in this. Go with her and copy Susie. What kind of friend were you when you were younger? Were you the friend that the parents say, hey, go, with, go with him, go with her? Or they say, uh, don't go with them, <laughs> whatever you do, uh, right? But God sends his son Jesus. First John chapter 2, verse 6, he sends him, if we will abide in him, or we, if we are with him, he says, walk like he walks. Do what he does. Copy Jesus. He is with us. So we're going to be with him, and we get to copy him. So not only are we not alone, that his power and he's leading us, he is right with us, and we get to copy him. And he's worthy. Scripture says he was sinless. Sinless. He walked this earth and he got it right. Guess who you might want to copy? That guy. Right? Copy that guy. He's got it figured out. We may never, well, we won't get to that point without his interference. But what it is, is we get to copy him. We get to see what it looks like. And what's cool, Hebrews 1.3 says he is the exact, speaking of Jesus, representation of God the Father. So the one who has a will and a plan for us, there is somebody that's an exact representation of, and that's Jesus. So if you want to know what the Father wants, copy the person who is an exact representation of him and has walked this earth perfectly. We are called to walk in the same manner, Scripture says. Walk like Jesus be like Jesus. Imitate Jesus. So what does that look like? I want to give you four things that Scripture calls us to follow Jesus' example, okay? And there's this question that helps you that you should ask yourself. Now, unfortunately, in our Christian culture, about 20, 30 years ago, we overdid this question, and it became cheesy, Okay? Don't know if we can bring it back or not. We'll find out. I'll ask the young people here, okay? Um, you old people are going to know what I'm talking about. But it's this WWJD. What's that stand for? What would Jesus do? It was in every bracelet. I mean, there wasn't a Christian thing you couldn't buy without that thing on it. And it got cheesy, right? And so, um, but I tell you what, uh, it is the true, most powerful thing you can ask walking this earth. What would Jesus do? If he is to be the example I'm supposed to follow, 
what would he do? Because that becomes your marching orders. So if we can bring it back to cool, I'm not sure. Uh, but it is a powerful question. What would Jesus do? How did he set the example? First, we see him set the example in love. He set the example in love as our primary motivation. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Jesus walked in love, and we are to walk as Jesus did. Imitate Jesus. And this love that Jesus has, John 15, 13, says it is the greatest love known to me. There's no greater love than what Jesus displayed and what he did for us on the cross. It is the greatest love. And why is it the greatest love? Because it is Jesus' primary motivation. It is his primary motivation for everything he does, everything that God does. Scriptures teach that God is love. Love is the greatest thing. And it's out of that because God is love that everything he does is out of love as its primary thing. And he asked us to make it our primary motivation is love. What's that look like? That sounds hard. The original language that the Bible is written in was Greek. And that word describing Jesus' love is agape. Agape love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 gives a description of some of the traits of agape love. This Jesus-like love. And so it becomes a bit of a blueprint. So, okay, this is what, if I'm going to make love my primary thing, this is what it looked like. Is that slide up there? 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, 4 and 8. Do we got that? Does that pop up there? I'll come here. I'm going to read that to you. You can turn there if you like. Verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 8. And you've heard this before. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard this. Love is patient. This is agape love. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And I love the mic drop moment of verse 8. Love never fails. Christ's love never fails. And we are called to walk, to imitate this, to be like Jesus in this. This is to be our primary motivation. So we should ask ourselves, in every encounter, what does love require of me? Every relational encounter, this should go through your mind. What does love require in me right now? Every time you get on the internet, you should ask yourself before you start, do, 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 what does love require of me right now? What would Jesus do? 
turn on that TV show, fill out those taxes. Everything in word and deed. What does love require of you? And do that. Because that's what Jesus did. So he set an example in love. Then he set an example in serving. An expression of that love. John chapter 13. It's a scene of Jesus. The night before he's going to be arrested, put on trial, and crucified. He's with his disciples. And he's in the upper room, and they have the Passover meal. And as they're sitting at this meal, he shows them what an expression of love looks like. He sets an example. And he gets up from the table, takes off the towel around his waist, and he does something that the servants would do. The king of kings, lord of lords, God himself stands up, takes a towel off, gets on his knees, and washes the disciples' feet. Oh, they are like, no, 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 no. You can't do this. This is only what servants do. Exactly. Exactly. Because that's what love does. That is love in action. But also our love in action, it's not just the what, it's the who. Because another thing that unfolds in that upper room, as Jesus is washing their feet, there's a man there. His name is Judas. And you all know, right? Even if you have never been to church long, you know the name Judas. He betrayed Jesus. He's the one that sold out Jesus for a little money. And it was already in motion, and Jesus knew it. And Jesus dropped on his knee and washed his feet. And I love this. Later on, the Gospel of Matthew tells us when Jesus is arrested later that night, and Judas comes up because the sign was who he kisses is Jesus. And the soldiers take him and then go crucify him. As Judas comes up and kisses Jesus, he says, listen, he says, friend, do what you've come to do. He calls him friend. So it's not just your what in serving, expressing love. It's your who. Because what it reflects is this. It reflects that you understand what Jesus has done for you, it understands of who you are and how desperately you needed Jesus to wash your feet on that cross with his blood. So I want to ask you a question. Are your interactions with people a reflection of what you believe true about Jesus? If someone watched you and who you served, would they say they understand what Jesus did for them? We're called to serve. He set the example for us. We're also called to follow his example in suffering. First Peter chapter 2 just describes it well. In verse 21, we are called to walk in his footsteps of suffering, he says. This life, and the older you get, the louder amen you're going to scream right now is tough. 
right? It's tough. It's hard. And Jesus told us it would be hard. And it's hard for a lot of different reasons. But it's really difficult for us because we're called to be different. So we're living in a society and a culture that we are called to be radically different. And in that difference is going to cause people to come against you and things. You're not going to be invited to certain things. People are going to call you a fool. They're going to question your logic, your intelligence. Relationally, they may actually even separate from you because you're just not about what they're about. This journey is painful. But here's the good news. Like Jesus, when we understand what Jesus did and what that means, uh, you can walk this difficult path with joy, with a surprising joy, because you get it, that our home is not here. There is a greater work going on in every day with every thought that pushes all the way out into heaven. So there is nothing here that grabs us. And we can count it all joy, right? It can endure this road of suffering because we are different. We are with Jesus and we live in the promises and powers of Jesus. So my question to you, right? Are you suffering? Are you suffering? I was asking myself this question this week. And it came to me, am I different? If I'm not suffering, am I different? Have I just melted in? Are you suffering? If the answer is no, I want to ask you. Ask yourselves, are you different? Are you walking and living a gospel life? We are called to walk the path of love. And that's suffering. And the last example I see, he, Jesus sets an example of humility. Of humility. And that's the attitude of love. Philippians 2, I just love that. It just talks about us having the same mindset, the same attitude of Jesus, and that impacts everything. So in my list, this is the catch-all. This is the things coming out of your life. It's us having the heart of Jesus following his example, and having that pour out in what I say, how I say it, who I say it to, what I think, what I allow into my life, how I deal with conflict, hurt, different opinions. Because I am to be of the same heart and mind as Jesus. And people should feel it. Absolutely feel it. Every encounter. So the question I have for us, when people encounter you, do they experience Jesus? If I hung out with you for a little bit, would I walk away and say, "Woo, there was Jesus. There he was. 
I felt it. There's something different, something radically different than I experienced in all this world. That's what he wants for us. And it's this reason as the worship team comes up and we prepare just to, to, to close down, it's this. Because uh, when we understand and allow our friend Jesus to show up for us, and then we allow him to show us and we walk in his footsteps, then we get to journey the rich and deep life that Jesus has for us. Because he has good for us. He's a good father. He has a good plan for us. But we have to walk it out in faith. And when we do this, I love this, we get to be the salt and the light that point people to Jesus, the one who can save, the only one who can save. We get to be part of that when we walk with Jesus. So what is our response? What, what do we do? It starts with this. You have to walk with Jesus. What that means is you have to get in sync with him. Not just be drug along, you know, every once in a while. You have to get actually step in step with Jesus. And when you do that, you get that, that, that harmony, get in tune with him. And all of a sudden, this, this call to, to be the likeness of Jesus and stuff starts becoming reality. And all of a sudden, the fruits show up. And you start experiencing the life that God has for you. But like in any journey, in every journey, it starts with a single step. You have to take the first step. You have to receive your friend Jesus. Say yes to him. Say yes to his priestly work for us. He went to the cross for our sins. He died for our sins to forgive us, to give us the grace, not on our own, but because of the grace of him, because he loves us and he wants us to be with him. He wants us to be his friend. And we say, yes, that I receive that. You are my king. You are my Lord. I want to walk in your way so I can have the life that you've created me to have. You have to receive that. So I'm going to invite you to stand up. And if you're at home, just, you know, you can stand up too. I love you guys. But think about this. If you need to get in sync, allow this song as we celebrate the friendship that we have in Jesus. Get in sync. And you know, you know where you're out of sync. Step in in faith because he has good for you there. If you've never made that decision and you're here, I want to invite you by faith to say yes to Jesus. Receive him as your personal Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins. Accept him by faith. Come up and talk to me. I'll be right up here. Come pray with me. Let's celebrate our friend Jesus. I love you, North Shore. God bless you guys.